0: Amen, amen. Thank you so much, team. Well, we are um, we we are on the final uh, the final week of our three week series, living in the shadow of the cross. And as uh, those of you that have been with us for this journey, uh, you have heard um, a number of stories already of lives that are lived through hardship, through pain, through loss, through suffering, and how God has um, been present there how God has brought healing, brought um, new growth, turned ashes into beauty. And you've also heard the authentic stories of Jesus followers that say, I'm not sure where all the healing is in this area, but I trust God for it. So it has been um, a fascinating and um, very important journey for our, our community here. And the text that, as I've been inter- introducing it, sort of each week, reflecting on that journey to the cross, that journey to Jerusalem and to Jesus's crucifixion, it's so fitting that this uh, this week we are uh, here on Palm Sunday, reflecting on a week in which the people who were in Jerusalem, who had come for a uh, pilgrimage festival of Passover, they had gathered in 150,000 people in the land at that, or in the city at that time. It's it's bustling, there's anticipation. They've heard of this Jesus who's a miracle worker, who's a prophet, who's a teacher second to none, and there's buzz in the city for him. And there's anticipation, is this the one that will bring about the as it says in, in Mark 10, uh, Mark 11, the blessed kingdom of David, who will bring about that that earthly kingdom that is going to push out Rome and put us in a position of rest of power of peace, of glory. Will this Jesus be the one? And as he's coming down from the Mount of Olives into Jerusalem and people are laying down palm branches and laying blankets in the road and shouting and sort of crying out uh, in repetition this this uh, Hebrew phrase, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. God save us, God save us. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Uh, this was a coded chant. It was a chant that, that that you would have known if you were a first century um, a Palestinian Jew. You would understand exactly what this chant means. It means that this is the one, this is the king. He is going to come into this temple and bring about definitively the peace, joy, and rest that we've been looking for. And this is not unlike the story, right, of James and John asking Jesus, can grant that we sit at your right hand and your left hand when you come in your glory? And remember what Jesus asks those two uh, disciples. Well-meaning question, a question we all ask. Lord, let us live in peace. Let us have full peace human flourishing. That's what we desire in our relationships in life. We, we want that. It's a good instinct those two disciples had. And Jesus asked them, if you recall, are you able to drink the cup I'm going to drink or be baptized in the baptism that I will be baptized with? And they're like, sure we will. And, and of course, a few chapters later, there's Jesus in the garden asking the father, Lord, take this cup from me. Please, I don't want to drink the cup of God's of, of suffering, the cup of pain, the cup of uh, being alone, of abandonment. That cup, he did not want to drink. His disciples didn't know about that cup yet. They thought the glory just kind of, boom, it comes. God snaps his fingers in your life and you're fulfilled. And Jesus recognized there's a different road. In the same way that crowd ch- chanting, there comes the kingdom of David, it's going to happen now. Jesus, you can imagine on that horse, on the donkey on his way down, seeing the cheers, seeing the crowds, recognizing their rights, right. The kingdom of God is breaking in. But what they don't realize is that in a few chapters, they will be chanting a different tune. They will be chanting, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And there will be Jesus alone on a cross, naked, being shamed, and crying out his last, Eloi, Eloi, Lema Sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In the depths of pain, the glory of God begins to grow, begins to appear, and the centurion sees it and says, surely this was the Son of God. The lesson that we've been reflecting on deeply over this last three-week journey is the lesson that it is indeed so often in the suffering and trials and pains of our life where God's glory begins to shine through and break through in ways that we can't even see during the pain, sometimes after we only see a fraction of it, but those, those ashes are turned into glory. That pain is not wasted. Not a nanosecond of pain is wasted. So we've heard stories, and today um, it is uh, such an honor to hear the story uh, of a woman of God who is one of the most courageous, generous, other-focused human beings. And when you, when you know Rosaline and you spend any amount of time with Rosaline, most of that conversation will be about you, will be about how are you doing, what's going on in your life, how can I help and serve you? And when you look at the network of relationships around her, the richness of her friends and community, and the fact that people, it's just a magnetism, you want to be with Rosaline. What we will notice when you hear her story is God did not snap his fingers in her life and go, and Rosaline. But indeed, Rosaline is is another amazing sister in Christ, whose story is very much like the story of Jesus, marked by the cup of pain, the cup of loss. And so today, uh, Denise and uh, Rosaline are going to come up and um, and share a little bit of that story. So I'm going to I'm going to invite you up, and I would like to pray, and then we'll we'll uh, we'll get going. <laughs> Let me pray for you both. All right. <laughs> you'll get mic'd up. We had the same thing at the last service too. I guess a microphone break is a good thing for this. Lord, we we just pray right now that Father and and the next next uh, half hour together, Lord, you would be powerfully present in this room and in um a very proximate and near to Rosalina. as she shares her story that is truly a story our our community. Um it's a story of our community and it's a story is very also personal to her we ask you to be with this next um, chunk of time thank you so much for uh, Denise and Rosaline in the name of Jesus we pray amen
1: well I am so honored to stand up here with Rosaline today Um, we just love Rosaline and her family Um, Cole and Adam and Ryan and Blake and Garrett and Kenton, Mm -hmm. five boys together, and um, I just stand with her today in support of the braveness that she's had in sharing her story. So, Rosaline, why don't you share with them a little bit about how you came to America and um, kind of the big picture of um, the cup of suffering that you've had
2: Um, good morning uh, it's a privilege to be here this morning to share with you uh, the story or part of the story of my journey with loss and grief and it, it uh, it's it involves three significant men that were there were in my life and it happened over a course of 18 months and so to give you a little bit of background as denise said i was born in england irish parents i uh five siblings and when we were when i was 12 we moved back to ireland so Fast forward a little bit to college. I just finished my second year of college, or I was just about to finish my second year of college, and I wanted to travel in Europe and uh, none of my friends had any money. I, w- I was a saver and I'd save my money along the way and so none of my friends had any money to go travel with me. So that that didn't didn't work out. So my Father said, "I have an uncle that lives in California, Uncle Barney. Why don't you write to him and see if you can go visit him?" So in 1982, that's what we did. We re- re- wrote letters. So I
1: <laughs> that was a long, time, <laughs> a long time, ago. time ago. I'm kind of dating myself <laughs> up here,
2: but so he responded immediately uh, via another letter and said, "Yes, come. I'd love love to see you." So. I'd never met him before, so I was working on my passport. I sent him a little passport picture of what I look like, and uh, he met me. Uh, it was a, I think it was June, June 9th, uh, 1982, and uh, I was so excited to be coming here, uh, get to come to the United States of America, California, and. Um, Little did I know uh, how significant all of that was going to be. So my Uncle Barney, I call him my Uncle Barney, but he's really my great Uncle Barney. He, he was 67 when I came in 1982. And he had been married, his wife had died about five years before I arrived. She died of cancer. And he, he didn't have any children. So, as it would turn out, I would have a 30-year relationship with my great-uncle Barney. I, he stood in to be the surrogate father, I, you know, I left my parents behind, all good, no issues there, but, you know, I was here and, and he was here, so he stepped in in that role, and I became the daughter that he never had. And so, in February 2012. When he died, he, he, he was 97. He'd lived a great life, very healthy. It was, it, was a, it was sad, and it was a loss for me, but it was to be expected. So at his funeral service, my ex-husband, Rick, and the father of my two children, Adam and Ryan, he was there because he, he was also in Barney's life. Um, and I, I remember... Looking at him that day, and I thought, "Oh, he, he doesn't look good. He doesn't, something doesn't look good about him." So, about a month later, I get a phone call inquiring, "Had I had I talked to Rick? Had I seen him?" And and I really hadn't since the service. So, uh, Cole and I decided that we would go up and check on on Rick. And sure enough, when we got there. Uh, it was clear that he was not well, and so we convinced him to go to, little company of Mary, <clears throat> to emergency room. And uh, they immediately admitted him and started running tests. Well, very quickly it became clear that 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 uh, he was going to. Uh, really soon. And so, within two weeks, his organs had completely shut down, and um, he lost his uh, struggle with alcoholism. He, he had died of sclerosis of the liver. So, that was also another, just a huge loss for me, really big loss for my sons. And so, uh, but with Cole by my side, you know, we we, we rallied and we could get through the, those those challenges and those difficult times that we, we all experienced. So uh, fast forward another 15 months, and it was July 29th, 2013. It was a Monday, and I was in the kitchen preparing... Um, dinner for uh, a cute little family that we got to know that live across the street from us, and they were coming over for a barbecue, and I was at the sink, which has a window that looks out onto the, the front, and I, I noticed a, a white car pull up. And as I saw the gentleman getting out of the car and, and, and heading to the front door, I, I, I focused in on the word coroner. On the side of the vehicle and so he met me at the front door and asked if he could come in and and uh, he was there to deliver really bad bad news and so he had told me that my husband had taken his life that afternoon and he asked me if if uh, who I could call so that Somebody could be there with me before he left. So I called Denise, and they were on their way back from a trip. And you know, I think I said something like, "He's gone" or something like that. And and she knew she knew what I I meant. And so um, within minutes, uh, a group gathered at the house. She had called all the the close friends and the. Uh, the people that she knew that I would need in that moment just to kind of get me through the next hour or so. And so over time, as the news spread, more and more people gathered, um, a huge body of people from the River Church. And uh, the reality started to set in, you know, as the extent of what, of the news I just received and uh, I I just became really overwhelmed with what that meant. Like My life that I knew was completely upside down. My heart was broken into a million little pieces that were just kind (laughs) of scattered all over the place and so, you know, I, I just didn't really know. I didn't know what to do or I didn't know anything. I was just kind of mindless or unaware of how to feel or but also knowing that I felt so bad so the community just poured in and poured love on me uh the The body of the River Church, they came in and they scooped up my pieces of my heart and it felt like they just kind of held it there on life support. Just trying to figure out how to comfort me, how to care for me. And then they would gather at my house and pray. Uh, they, They would be gathering in other people's homes to pray for me. For my children for um, Cole's family for and even for themselves, because it was a huge loss to them they they they, they knew this man and um, and they knew how special he was he was special and, and, and if you knew him, you, you knew what I was talking about um, Cole and I um, you know, we, we had 10 years together. We met as a, um, as a result of our two sons playing soccer together on a soccer team, a club soccer team. And I was Adam's mom, and he was Coach Cole. And so we fell in love, and, and we got married in 2004. And we brought together a blended family of five sons, he had three sons, I had two, and so we had a new marriage. He had a new career. He'd have to uh, almost reinvent himself and, and figure out what he wanted to do because a family business that he and his brother uh, had run was, um, they, they had to close it down because, of the biz- a lot of business going overseas to China and they just couldn't compete. So he had a love of building and working with his hands and so it was a natural fit that he would get his contractor's license and um, that's, that's what we started. We started a construction company together. So a new, new wife, a new, new career, a house that we were remodeling to fit all seven of us. There was a lot of things going on. Um, and so I just want to step back and just talk a little bit about him and his personality he he was a he was a real gentle soul he had a heart for service he loved to help the community he loved projects uh, that were helping the community He, he he would get asked to go to Kurdistan to build a playground for kids around the world I don't know how how we got him to do that because he was a, he was a he didn't like leaving anywhere. He he loved his home. He didn't want to leave the country. But somehow something moved in him, and he went and he built this playground for the persecuted Christians in Kurdistan. Right? Mm-hmm. These families that had been um, had to pick up and leave and move because they weren't safe to live where they live because they love Jesus. So um, the, uh, the other thing about Cole is that um, he struggled. Uh, he, he struggled with anxiety and depression and it was a struggle that existed before we were married. It existed in our marriage. Um, it was there, it was a part of him. And I think that's, that's what drew other people to him, is that he had this credibility because he was broken and he had this difficulty that you know, would show up in his life. It, it wasn't something that was there every day of his life. It, it, it would come and go. It, it could be there for a few months and it would leave for a few years. But when it, it did show up, it was very difficult and he relied on Jesus to help him through that. Um, but it, it was tough, and it was a very difficult, difficult fight for him. Um,
1: Tell us, Rosaline, how, um, in the time after Colt passed, uh-huh. how did you relate to God? How did you see him or did you how did that
2: Uh, look it didn't look so good in the beginning (laughs) uh i felt god's presence and i felt a covering of me over me from people praying and but uh, i i don't think i was that in touch with him i was busy figuring out how to put my life back together with legal things and financial things and stuff like that and so all this grief that i had i kind of boxed it up and put it on the shelf and left it there and and i my life took on an appearance like oh it looks like she's okay she's doing okay she's out she's at church she's um going to dinners or lunches or you know meeting with people but and that was and that was true. And I was doing it that, that. But when I came home, and you know, when you lose a spouse, you have it's tough because you have a lot of alone time. The days are long, and the nights are even longer. And so, I would become really so overwhelmed when I was home alone with the loneliness, the sadness, the the anger. And you know I, it felt like I was like a boat taken on water I, I i was drowning in all of this and i i I wasn't sure how to figure out how to to deal with it or how to get out of it but one of the things that I did start doing was i i began a uh I want to say I, I keep using the word ritual but that's really doesn't sound right it's like a help me habit. Out. a habit there you go she's my psychic <laughs> uh, i began a habit of waking up early in the morning and trying to pray to god and i would sit there and i would talk to him and i'd be angry or i'd be confused and I'd be distracted, and my, like I was a two-year-old. I, I was like, had no attention span. I, I'd read something, it didn't make any sense. But I, I think what, what it was is I kept showing up every, every morning. And I, I made it a priority. I didn't start my day without doing that. And I, I, I think even though I f- know that he didn't see I was that connected to him, I think what he saw was the effort, like, and and God honors effort in in the struggles and in the things that we do, and so I think that's, that's what he saw, and slowly I began to see and feel there was a shift, there was something, there was a movement going on in me, and over time what would happen is that... The sadness wouldn't be gone, and the loneliness wasn't wasn't gone. But I, I would shift into more understanding and seeing grace and peace and um, being being grateful that uh, my heart really was protected. That you know I didn't turn away from God. Being grateful that our children, our sons, they were getting on with life, and 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 they weren't. A I wouldn't say they weren't affected, but they weren't. They were choosing life and and to see the light and to to see the positive things that was in their future and not necessarily what was in their past. Right. So. Uh, what what it did for me when I started to feel more of that and to, and to let go of trying to understand something that that, that really couldn't be understood, and it it, it wasn't. It wasn't mine to understand it. That was between Cole and God. And so uh, what what I started to notice is that, th- it, that there was a real presence of God in my life, and it was evidenced when I looked back at all the steps and the things that he had done beforehand to prepare me for this. Um, it was no accident that when we got... married that we went searching for a a church that spoke to both of us and we found the river and we we went there one time Uh, and it was actually kind of coincidental that (laughs) Cole actually knew Todd and they'd grown up together, Kramer Club and went to school together, but it was more than that. It was just the feeling that we had that we came home that, that afternoon because this was way back in the very beginning when the river church was planted, it was in the, the plumber's backyard, and uh, we would meet on a Sunday afternoon at like four o'clock. So that was a clear sign. That was clear proof that he had placed me in that church to be cared for by that body of people for a time when I would need it. I didn't know that. I mean, we, we just jumped in, Cole and I, with both arms, and we're serving other people. We we were doing what this group and this body of believers would end up doing for me in my, in my loss, in my grief, in in, in the, the difficult time that I was in. So uh, there were other there were other indications. There were other signs. It was no mistake that my uh, neighbors across the street that they moved here from Chicago and they moved into our neighborhood a year before Cole died and we loved that family they were much younger than us we didn't care you know they we just we just connected and and at the time it we were the connection for them as they were trying to get acclimated to to living in Palos Verdes from Chicago but but the real story was that they were there for me afterwards, when I lost Cole, and and they know what that loss was like because in that one year, they connected and they got to know Cole like to the core. They they knew all about that man. So um, that that that's another that's another sign. I mean, there's so much there's so much glory in. Looking back and and noticing and seeing what he had done in my life. Um, do i have time to share a
1: bit more? Yeah, I I wanted Rosaline to share. More and more, she's seen the way God's caring for her in really specific ways, and there's one story about her garden that I wanted her to just close with, okay. um, just to show God's love for her. So. Okay. Oh, you have Oh, I do
2: this one. Sorry. What? Oh, okay. I can, do, I can do that story.
1: Sorry, we, we already did this <laughs> at the beach, and they're telling us we have to tell two stories.
2: Oh, okay. They're so trying we'll to get go. her off the clock. Or <laughs> get me off the clock, because <laughs> I don't know. So, anyhow, yeah. the other, the other really beautiful thing that I do want to share with you, and, and many of you already know this, is that um, if you are at the Easter service last year, where our, our sweet sister over there, Kim, she shared with everybody her journey, and her struggles also with alcoholism. And that um, that, that, the, that the only thing that took away her craving for alcohol over a 30-year span was her love and her relationship with Jesus. I mean, to me, you know, isn't... I mean, that's just powerful. And so the sweetness... hearing that story for me is that it it was my sweet husband Cole that actually brought her to that place that we had um, built or he had really built a beautiful home for Chris and Kim and while he was working on that job site he just talked to her about the river about Jesus about his struggles and Uh, she was skeptical, she (laughs) was curious, (laughs) she was Kim, but (laughs) you know what I mean, so, uh, but she started coming to the church, and Jesus did a moving in her heart, and while it, you know, it's a huge loss for me, that night when I came home and kind of took, took in that story and that, that testimony, I realized, yes, it it was a huge loss for me, but it was one big gain for the kingdom. And so...
1: um, So lastly, a big risk that Rosaline has taken um, this last year is stepping into Cole's shoes, kind of, and they had this construction company together. And she took a big step of faith on her own without him... And I just wanted to close with that.
2: Okay, so um, my sweet neighbors across the street started begging me for last year. Um, we wanna do a remodel and we want you to do the remodel. I'm like, oh, I don't think so, that was Cole's deal. I don't think I'm gonna do that. I'm not sure I wanna do it. So she just, Yale the wife just kept begging me, no, we want you to do it, we want you to do it. So um, I finally agreed that I would and so... Uh,
1: about six years ago. Yeah.
2: About... Yeah, sorry. I was losing track. So, uh, six years ago, I happened to lose my wedding band. I don't know where I lost the wedding band. It disappeared. fell off my finger somewhere. I put it down. I, I don't really know. Um, <clears throat> but it was gone and I had accepted that, you know, I was going to be without a wedding band until it got replaced so the day that i started demo on this remodel across the street from my house it was really hot and things were crap was falling from everywhere i had a hard hat on i'm like i gotta get out of here (laughs) i think i'm gonna go over to my house and uh, water my vegetable garden Um, i had two planter boxes, uh, raised beds, and uh, it was a really hot day, and so I'm going over there and got the hose out and watering the dirt. I'd just planted tomato plants over the weekend.
1: Tomatoes are tomatoes.
2: <laughs> so um, I'm, I'm hosing down the dirt, and I'm looking in the dirt, and all of a sudden I see this round thing. It... it, it At first glance it looked like it was uh, the cap of a beer bottle top and so I was like ah boys why do you throw your beer caps in (laughs) my in my raised bed here so anyhow I uh, I reached down to just kind of pick it out of the dirt because part of it was exposed and in doing so it wasn't a bottle cap what was revealed was my wedding band it was just sitting flush in the dirt for me to find. On that particular day that I broke ground on the, the house across the street. Now, that dirt had been turned every year since I, it was first put in there. We never found it. I, I didn't even know that that's where it was, but, but that's, that's where it showed up. And so to me, that was just another confirmation of that Jesus has got me, he's got me where he wants me, he's there for me, he's in my life, um, and I'm, I'm going to be all right, That you know, that uh, I'm trusting, and I can trust, because of what's gone before me, I can, I mean, before me, I can trust what is ahead of me, and so that, that was a gift, that was Uh, that was a gift
1: yeah it's just finding that ring was like kind of a sense of Cole standing with her and ultimately Jesus standing with her in this project and she just did an amazing job and um, one of the verses that Rosalina shared with me is Proverbs 3 5 and 6 just um, the need for her daily to trust in the Lord with all of her heart and not to lean on her own understanding because when she does, she's overwhelmed by what's ahead and what she feels and sometimes her loneliness, but just trying to trust him in all that she does and to walk uprightly and just holding on to the hand of Jesus is where she's really finding her hope. So thank you so much, Rosaline, for your courageous authenticity and just sharing, I I know her heart is really, that in her suffering, we would be encouraged and um, have hope. So, thank you so much.
0: (laughs) Yeah, thank you so much, Rosaline. Um, Yeah, not a week goes by that I don't think about Cole and uh, every single time I know for for uh, those of you that know this, the, the cross that Cole built. Every time I look at this cross, uh, I think about I think about Cole and I, I think about Christ. And if you knew Cole, to interact with Cole, um, you got a you got a touch of Christ. And Rosaline, that is the exact same thing um, with you. And one of the hopes of the resurrection that we will be celebrating in a week is the hope that um, I will be at the Messianic banquet enjoying a meal um, with Cole and um, enjoying his his beautiful presence again. So the cross and the shadow of the cross, um, a thought occurred to me at the beach service as you were sharing when you read through the Passion account of Jesus and um, the scene in which Peter denies Jesus three times. Peter's alone. He's isolated. There's another individual in Mark 14. We don't. He's unnamed, but he's also alone. And someone grabs him by the cloak, and and he runs away naked. He's so uh, panicked to get away from Jesus, and he's alone, and he's running. And then there's that scene at the cross where there's a centurion next to Jesus, seeing the suffering of Jesus, beholding it, and says, "Truly, this was the Son of God." And the very next detail, Mark gives us, and there were some women from um, standing a, a, a bit of a distance, um, Mary and um, uh, son of Magdalene, Mary the son of or the daughter of, um, sorry, the mother of James and, and um, Salome, and there were these women who had been with Jesus. And there they are at that moment where most of the men had taken off or Peter was isolated and alone and vulnerable, this group of women together. And I think about your entire story, Rosalina, and I I still feel that first week. I feel it in my bones. I can close my eyes and feel it, as I know so many of us can. And it really is a picture. It was a picture of that. Um, As you said, what... Christ and you and Cole prior um, to this tragedy were those community builders pouring into people, picking those up that could not go on. And in that moment, you were in the right place by the grace of God, together, not alone, being picked up and carried along. And that's the story in the shadow of the cross is that we're not alone in our suffering. And, and those of you that have been here for this whole ser- series and this is, this is the end of it, um, and, and maybe you feel that loneliness or you, um, you are suffering silently, we want to encourage you, and I hope these stories have encouraged you, reach out to some safe people, maybe in this room, um, maybe in your life, and, and, and never put a wall between your suffering and the suffering of Christ as if those are somehow so different and, and inseparable, but I'd rather us consider Jesus right there understanding your pain in the, having experienced your pain and quietly whispering to you the hope of those ashes turning into glory and that pain um, the sun rising upon it and bringing life and wholeness and glory so thank you for this uh, entire week uh, or three weeks of this series for all of you that have um, uh, come along the journey with us we're going to worship now and I'll um, and I'll come back and close this uh, with some instructions for the Easter egg hunt. But let's let's worship the Lord in this.